Hey guys, welcome to this edition of Free Thinking with Montel. Of course, I'm Montel. How are you doing today? I hope you've been doing great. I literally am excited about having this uh, guest that we have on today because it's almost like perfect timing that we were able to to chat with another, you know, person who is an MS survivor and a survivor in a big way. Because you know, I know a lot of you have caught the recent news that Christina Applegate just came forward, um, saying and talking about her diagnosis with MS after having you know, been diagnosed with breast cancer and having gone through all of those issues that she had to deal with with that, then all of a sudden life throws her another monkey wrench, which is, you know, MS, but she is really ready and preparing herself to fight the good fight. And that's what we all need to consider when we get a diagnosis or, you know, we life throws us a curveball is rather succumb rather than succumb to that curveball and think, oh, woe is me. It's time to put that cap on that says, you know what? Okay, this is what life dealt me, but now it's time for me to deal life something. And that is show life that I'm capable of dealing with anything that it throws my way. And, you know, that's what's so important about getting a devastating diagnosis like MS, you know, so often. And, and unfortunately, because of the bedside manner of so many doctors that are out there and because of some of the lack of information that some doctors have, you know, when they diagnose you with something like this, which is a, you know, a incurable uh, autoimmune disease that has and affects people in different ways, but it's becomes your life journey. Once you get this diagnosis, sometimes doctors kind of try to crystal ball in the most negative way they can, thinking that maybe they're doing you some good by telling you that things are going to be, oh, woe is me, rather than letting you know that there are things that you can do no matter what the diagnosis to no matter what the illness, you know, if any doctor out there, you know, was God, none of us would be sick. So none of them are God and, you know, none of them have crystal walls. So none of them can actually literally prognosticate and tell you exactly what's going to happen over the next, you know, span of your life. So it's more important, I think, that you steep yourself with as much information as you possibly can. Knowledge is king. I remember when I was diagnosed back in 2000, and this is after having been misdiagnosed for 20 years, showing me again that if doctors were so smart, one of them would have caught the fact that I should have probably been diagnosed 20 years before I got diagnosed. But they didn't catch that. And when I realized that I got the diagnosis after going to see a doctor about the exact same issues that I had been having for 20 years. And now this doctor comes up with, you have MS. I realized that, you know, eh, reading the, 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 you know, physician's desk reference that he had in front of him, I realized that the information in there was clearly not correct because back when I was diagnosed, you know, most doctors still believe that MS was just a disease of Caucasian women of Northern European descent which I'm not. So clearly they were missing some information here. And so that's what set me on my first journey was my diagnosis to study and find out everything I could about this illness. Knowing that information is king. And the more I knew, the more I understood that, yes, this is a devastating diagnosis. However, there's information out there from around the world that is showing me that there are things that I can do 
to impact in some ways the progression of my illness if I just pay attention and apply myself and apply some of the tools that so many other people who've been down this path have already learned and have shared so that they can help others. And that's really what you know, the objective is of my guest. And after her diagnosis with MS, she set about a mission of finding out as much as she could so that she could then educate others. My guest today was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis back in 2007 at the age of 27. Following her diagnosis, she made it her mission to educate, advocate, and support others battling the disease. She works tirelessly to help lessen the burden each patient has to bear. Her efforts have given her the opportunity to work with physicians, with patients, and foundations across the globe. After the birth of her son in 2016, she shifted her focus to supporting the children of parents with chronic illness. The children's book entitled Some Days, A Tale of Love, Ice Cream, and My Mom's Chronic Illness was created to normalize differing abilities and amplify uh, how each of us can thrive in spite of the challenges. The movement she has created has changed the apologetic tone and transform the child and parents experience into uplifting stories that highlight the parents resilience. Julie Stam, thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montalai. Thank you for joining. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Absolutely. You know, it, it's really, I think, a, a, an important thing for me to ask you to let's let's go back to when you got diagnosed. And let's talk through that experience of the diagnosis. But tell me, I know that I think I said a couple of things when in my open, you were misdiagnosed for multiple years before you actually got your diagnosis, were you not? Yeah, it took her. So it started in 2001 and I kept going to doctors and complaining about this, just like you, the same symptoms, you know, and my disease didn't change. The perspective of the physician changed and well, being heard. Uh, share a little bit of that because, you know, unfortunately, yeah. and, I, and I don't want to uh, keep learning, you know, we know that women are probably two to three times more likely to get MS than a male. <laughs> and unfortunately, you know, if I remember back when I got diagnosed, there was a lot of literature written about the fact that doctors often just said to a woman who came in with symptoms like the ones that you probably presented, oh, it's all in your head, or it has something to do with your period, or it has something to do with, you know, stress. So, you're just the one. <laughs> you know, all those things that these guys try to crystal ball. Let's talk a little bit. Let's take, take somebody else who may be out there right now watching this going, hmm, I've had symptoms like that. Maybe I should get them checked. Let's take, take me on your journey. 2001, your first symptoms? Yeah. So, Which one? so it was, I kept having urinary tract infections. So I was having urgency and frequency. And so they kept giving me antibiotics for urinary tract infections, which it wasn't a urinary tract infection. It was my brain not telling my body how to make my bladder work. Right. Um, so that, that was my first symptom with optic neuritis in my right eye. And I would go to, unfortunately, like a lens crafter type situation and they would say, no, you're fine. Here's another prescription for eyeglasses, which wasn't really helping the double vision or the, you know, the blur, the blur vision. vision. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, let me let me just say a lot of times, and this is, again, MS is such a specific disease to the individual who has it. Um, and why? Because folks, for you who don't understand, MS has been considered in Western medicine and autoimmune disease. That's not the way it's considered around the world. Let's make sure we get that very clear. There's been an argument between Eastern and Western medication for now 50 years when it comes to MS. 
And though we all like to think that we all here in the West know everything, we've proven that we don't. However, we do know that somewhere between 70 and 80% of the people who actually go in and talk to a doctor or a physician and complain about some of their symptoms, those symptoms almost always start with, again, 70, 80% with some sort of optic neuritis or optic neuropathy. And that optic neuritis and neuropathy presents itself in different ways. Neuritis being an inflammation of the optic nerve. It can present itself by giving you double vision. It can present itself by giving you blurred vision. It can give you like this hazy vision that you can't understand what it is normally in one eye, but sometimes in both. Um, in my case, mine started, yours started, Julia, in your right eye. Mine started yeah. in my left eye. I literally went almost completely blind in my left eye. Uh, I'll tell you a very interesting story. Um, my diagnosis should have come back in 1980 when I was in my early 20s, and I was a midshipman at the Naval Academy getting ready to graduate. Um, we know now that I unfortunately, along with about 90 of my other midshipman classmates, when we went through to get our pre-commissioning immunizations, we all unfortunately got an overdose of one of the particular uh, uh, vaccines. Now, that vaccine did not cause my MS. I probably would have had MS anyway five or 10 years later. However, that vaccine sent my immune system into such a shock and such a burden that it just blasted me with one of my first bouts of MS. And I literally almost went completely blind in my left eye. I uh, had a huge, larger scotoma, which is a hole in the vision in my left eye. I had blurred vision. Um, I had something that's called an afferent pupillary defect, which means my pupil was just not just nystagmus, but my pupil was reacting differently to light and dark and distance and nearby. So I literally had just a tough time seeing out of the left side of my body. I, went, I had extreme temperature, you know, I had some left side weakness. I had, you know, uh, patches of, of just really crazy touch pain. I mean, just touch me. It felt like, you know, somebody was stabbing me with something. I and relate to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. So that was the early on, but go ahead. So you were started off, you had blurred vision, you had some urinary tract issues, that really wasn't a bladder infection. It was just your brain trying to make sure people understand that what happens in people who have MS, we get these things that are called scars. The reason why it's called MS is multiple sclerosis. Sclerosis in Latin means scars. So we get multiple scars in our brain or in our spinal cord. If it's in your spinal cord, it's called lateral sclerosis. So when you have it in your brain, these little scars form in, in, in honestly, and every person who has it, it's in a different place. And sometimes it can be in the same place, but in a different place. And just like every computer is different. And what do I mean by that? I can drop, you know, a tablespoon of water right in the middle of my computer and my computer by me dropping the water in this computer versus another computer, it will short out some of the connections and wiring in this computer differently than it'll short out the one sitting right next to it. If I put the water in the exact same place, well, if I have scars in my brain and you have scars in your brain, 
they affect different areas of our bodies. My brain developed over its 65 years so that maybe a cell over here is what controls my left finger. But that same cell over here is what controls your nose. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we never know based on where a scar is, whether or not it's going to affect people the same or differently. We do know various areas of the brain, the scars will affect balance. They'll affect speech. They'll affect muscle density and muscle, you know, uh, response, but we really can't identify exactly what muscle is going to respond to a particular scar. So I'm just trying to get people who are tuning in a little bit and let them know that, you know, I mean, again, every single one of us, that's the reason why it's so important. I mean, I think people who are, who are diagnosed with MS use the term, well, my disease, my disease, because their disease is different than another person's disease. So I'm sorry. But what we can do is give you an idea of what you can go and ask a doctor about. So yeah. again, you and start off. Even, even not even with MS, it, if you feel that something's off in your body, it's up to you to advocate for yourself. And you shouldn't. Absolutely. You cannot accept this is a woman's issue or this is a change in diet or this is because you're traveling. You know your body. You know what's acceptable changes in terms of, you know, if it is travel. And, you know, it took six long, long years and giving up. I mean, I was praying. I'm not like a depressed type person. Um, I was praying to die. I was praying to trip and fall and like get hit by a bus. I was so at the end, you know, they sent me to. I was working and then we had to, you know, they saw I was deteriorating at my company. And so they sent me to a psychiatrist and luckily the psychiatrist said, I'm depressed secondary to my underlying health issue. And no one could figure that out. And it, it was so validating to hear someone say that, you know, this isn't just in my head. I'm fully aware of what's going on. I just feel really unwell and I'm getting worse and no one's taking me seriously. And it took going to a geriatric doctor, which was my last, my last stop. I had been to every doctor and cried and cried and cried. And it took a geriatric doctor. So let's just do an MRI. And then that was it. It was the smoking gun. I'm like, how did it take so long? Like when I look back, if I type, thank goodness for the internet now, if you type those symptoms in, you know, it's going to tell you MS, <laughs> you know, all right. of those things. But, um, Back then, it wasn't really, you know, I didn't even have a computer at home back then. It just wasn't common sure. place. Um, so, you know, when you, when you say when you say you were deteriorating, explain what that meant. What that means? I mean, was your vision getting worse? Was your bladder getting worse? Were you the, feeling other symptoms? I was getting new symptoms. So um, then my bowel yeah. was bad. So it, just like you had a trigger event, my trigger event was I went to um, out to dinner and I had food poisoning. So it takes with MS. You have to have multiple factors in order for it to trigger, you know, like these random food poisoning won't activate MS on everybody, but because I had everything else that happened to perfectly align. And that was like my major event that just set my body into overdrive. And then it just kept eating away and each, you know, stress doesn't really help. So I was getting worse. And then it took my, I used to be able to wear high heels. And then I noticed I couldn't, I was lowering the heel every time I went shopping until I couldn't wear high heels, which sounds so silly to think about, but it's because I was having balance issues and I noticed that I couldn't stand their business functions. Or if we were having a meeting, I was worried constantly about where the bathroom was. And, you know, you just, I couldn't focus. I couldn't, it just kept getting worse. And it took me tripping and falling for them to finally be like, okay. And, you know, I couldn't hold anything with my left hand. 
It took right. so long to me. It was just such a disservice that was done because I wish I got treated earlier. I wish I slowed this down earlier. Yeah. And, and doctors kept telling you it's all in your head. It's all in yep. your head. Mm-hmm. When we know that even the depression that a lot of people with MS suffer from is because of inflammation and because of the scarring in the brain. It's not, this is a physical manifestation or, you know, a symptom that comes from a physical manifestation. It's not something that just, you know, the, the other type of depression, this is depression that you have no control over. Right. A lot of it. And, you know, even our emotion, I don't know if it's a symptom that you have, but you know, there are times when I'm supposed to be sad and I can't stop laughing, or there are times where I'm supposed to be laughing and I can't stop crying. It's just, my brain doesn't really give the messages that it needs to give all the time. That's something that's called emotional lability that a lot of people with MS suffer from because especially if they have scarring in that area of the brain, that's called the pons area of the brain that literally controls our highs and lows, you know? Um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a hard one for people to understand where, you know, you might see something happen that most people would go, oh, wow. And then you kind of smile, you're laughing a little bit about it. People look at you like, what the fuck is that all about? <laughs> well, it's not something that you chose to do. It's, it's, it's a symptom of the illness. Yeah. And that's hard for people to understand. You know, I mean, it's hard to explain because you inside know that this isn't how your body should be reacting, but you can't control the physical response that you're having. It's, you were married then, uh, first time? I was mar- yeah, I was married then. Um, he was wonderful. And, you know, it's difficult because um, he was great for when we needed to be in each other's life. Um, but I think people fall in and out of love. And I had fallen out of love. And I feel bad that I did, but it happens. Um, and I think the worst thing that I could have done was stay longer because I was worried about going into the world and telling people that I had MS and, um, you know, I look back and I think there were things that we could, you know, we tried to have children and I always thought it was me that couldn't have children because of MS. And, um, you know, I came to terms with that and I always had an extreme amount of guilt about not being able to give him a family. Um, you know, it turns out that wasn't the case for me, but, um, it really, I think, you have to choose a partner that doesn't see it as their burden, even though they don't have MS, they live with it. And it depends how they take that. So if they're going to take it in the same way that my outlook is, I'm going to be positive about it. I'm going to beat this and I'm going to help people. Or if they're going to feel bad that you're dragging them down or their, their course of life is different because of your disease, then that's not really a great relationship. Right, right. Now, the, when so when you finally got your diagnosis, was that a hoo-hoo day? What was it? To explain I, I celebrated. <laughs> yes. I did. Um, they told me to go home. It was right before um, the New Year Christmas. So I came, I was living in London at the time. I came home, celebrated with my family, and then went back, had my final lumbar puncture, and then they gave me everything in the hospital. And um, But when they told me this is what they thought it was and they're 99% sure we just have to have the final lumbar puncture as the final diagnostic. I was celebrating. I was Mm -hmm. happy. I was like, I have an answer. I know the man behind the curtain and I'm going to take him down now. Not knowing was bad for me. Like just deteriorating thinking like, am I actually going crazy? (laughs) What's happening? Cause I feel terrible, but, and I was getting worse. And then you, of course, did you start a regimen of medication as soon as you got diagnosed? 
I did. So there were only three treatment options back then. Right. Um, so right. the ABCs were around. Mm. Um, so I went through all of those and I was getting worse still with that. So it turns out I have progressive MS. So our treatment options are a little bit more limited. Right. Uh, so it took a really long time to finally find one that works for people with progressive MS. And I, when I found that, that was the greatest thing because I wasn't progressing anymore. Right. <laughs> but it took a long time to get to that point. What did you do lifestyle-wise? Did you change your diet? Did you exercise differently? Did you do things or did you, did you go on that kind of a journey? I tried. Um, I kept a food diary for a long time just to see if it made any impact too. And it didn't change. It does for a lot of people. For me, yes, if I eat a bag of potato chips, I'm not going to feel as great as if I eat a bag of carrots. So those are just common sense changes. Um, but I didn't do an entire lifestyle shift. I did incorporate... Um, you know, acupuncture and dancing and stuff that I really enjoyed. Um, but to deprive myself of cheese was a hard one. <laughs> right, right. Well, now, did you, I mean, now, uh, how are you doing now? I'm very, very, very fortunate to be in a, a stem cell uh, trial right now. Mm -hmm. So I feel like I am taking charge of this disease. I feel like I, I always have tried to take charge. Um, so getting on a treatment that stops it for me was essential. Um, so I feel like I have that. And then I was very fortunate to get selected to be one of 50 in this stem cell trial. And has that been working out for you? I have one more treatment to go. Um, and I mean. Is that I'm an not, infusion? It's a spinal infusion. Yeah. So they right. took it's it's the only FDA approved one. Um right now. So it's not, mm -hmm. it's not one that, you know, you can go on the internet and go wherever and find someone that if you give them a hundred thousand, this is uh, a fully ethical, no money crossover. It's FDA oversaw. Um, I, you know, there are changes for sure. You know, I, I noticed, so things that people won't see is every step. I'm like, okay, left leg up, watch that left leg up. Okay. Where's mm -hmm. the bathroom left leg up. Don't walk in the wall, do this, you know, in my mind, but I'm walking along. No one sees that in my mind, you know, right. what's going on. But I noticed the other day that I was looking at the trees and I wasn't thinking about my steps. And right. I was like, could this be the truck? Could this be the stem cells kicking in? You know, I just, I hadn't noticed certain things. So walking you know, without paying attention to every step. Right. You know, that um, I, I worked on, I, I helped to bring a technology into the marketplace, which you should do a little reading about yourself. It's called a company called Helios Medical Technology that has a device that's called a PONS device, P-O-N-S, Portable Neural Modulation System, that just now about six months ago, just received FDA clearance uh, for MS for people who have gait problems for mild to moderate MS, you would probably qualify to, and it will be prescribed in the next six months or so. I'm writing that down. <laughs> called Heli Helios Medical Technology. The device is called a PONS device. It has uh, gotten clearance here in the, US, the United States in the last six months uh, for gait issues for mild to moderate MS. It was cleared in Canada about four years ago for traumatic brain injury and MS, balance and gait, mild to moderate. 
And it's also being investigated in Australia and in the EU. It's now gotten an investigatorial device qualification in the EU and in Australia because they're using it in Australia for not only MS, but for stroke and for traumatic brain injury in the EU for traumatic brain injury, stroke, and MS. So you might, you know, keep keep an eye out. They, they are starting to, you know, we're, we're moving it forward to be commercialized here in the United States. It requires some physical therapy along with the use of the device, but it's non-invasive in the sense that it's just a electronic stimulator that you put on your tongue and then you do exercises along with that for about a 20-minute period of time. And it has in 75% of almost all patients who have touched it and used it, it improves their balancing gait. That's amazing. I'm definitely yeah. going to look that up. Thank you. Elias Medical Technologies. Yeah, I have it. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So now you did get pregnant though, to your surprise. I did. You know, I, fact, you got married a second time? Uh, I didn't, we didn't get married. No, uh, okay. no I, no, uh, okay. it's no, it's really funny. Um, I feel like with MS, there's so much we can't choose. And, um, with my partner, I choose him every day and I like that. I like having the choice. I don't like anything being told that I have to do something a certain way. Um, you know, we're together eight and a half years and every morning I'm grateful that he's there. And if one day he wakes up or I wake up and we don't want to be there, I like that we have that choice and I hope we never get there, but he's, you know, we both, it's, it's working. (laughs) It's a, it's a fun way. It's worked for what? Eight years. How long? Eight and a half. Yeah. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's really good. And he's a wonderful father. And, you know, my son, I didn't think I could get pregnant. I had tried for four years with my ex-husband. So I just, you know, never. And I was told not to get pregnant because of MS. So I just assumed it wasn't in my cards. Well, that's that's very interesting when you say, again, that's because there's so much differing or so many differing opinions out there. There was a period of time when you know, one of the things that doctors would suggest to all women who were diagnosed in their early 20s with MS was to get pregnant because we also noticed that pregnancy abated a lot of the symptoms. A lot of times some women would get pregnant and all their symptoms would go away and they wouldn't come back until maybe a year or two after the baby was born. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a, a whole a research project that's been out of Israel for now, I'm telling close to 15 years where they have been studying something called the alpha-feta protein, which is the protein that both the mother and the baby produce during gestation that keeps each from looking at the other as a parasite. Because technically, when you have get pregnant, any woman gets pregnant, that baby is a parasite inside right. of your body. Well, you create a hormone, you create the hormone, and the baby creates a hormone to stop your immune system from attacking each other. And for some reason, there seems to be an implication with that hormone when it comes to autoimmune diseases. It allows the body to stop attacking itself. So you got pregnant. Did you have any abatement of your symptoms while you were pregnant? I didn't. Um, I First, I think if anyone is told not to have a child and they want to, they should get a different doctor. Right. I think that's up. That's your choice as a woman, whatever you want to do with your body. And even if it is to your detriment, which I don't think it would be. It's your choice. I don't think any one person can dictate what you do with your body. So get another opinion if you are told not to. Um, And it, it, 
It's my greatest gift. You know, of everything that I've done and accomplished in life, he's my favorite thing. I'm the most proud of him. I'm proud of the boy that he is. And, you know, after he was born, it was really hard. The first few months, and I overdid it on steroids um, because it was hard to keep up. And now I have cataracts at the age of 42, you know, <laughs> I mean, gotcha. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't change it. I would do it all over again. And, you know, he also changed your mindset because before his birth, you were trying to advocate for other patients mm -hmm. just for the patient themselves. And then you, you talk a little bit about this mindset change that you decided that you wanted to, was it because you recognized you had to explain more to your son about why mommy can't on this day or that day? And then you decided to share it with others. I mean, what, what changed your mindset? So, um, a lot of people with MS have cognitive issues and I happen to be one of them. So I, from the day he was born, I write him letters, uh, not every day, but whenever there's something significant, first food, first, you know, anything, um, first tooth, any exciting event. But I started reading the notes on the days that I would cry myself to sleep, feeling like I shouldn't be a mom because I have MS and these are the worst days that I've ever had. And so I started talking to my son when he got a little bit bigger, about three, and he was like, oh, you mean train day? So I was like, do you remember that day that we had to scooch home because my legs wouldn't work? Um, and we pretended like we were a train. Do you remember that? Like, do you remember um, when you sat on mom's lap? And do you remember when I couldn't go? We had we go on air conditioner missions. Like, it's too hot out, so we have to run in and out of shops. Um, but he saw them different. So to me, I was missing things because we had to keep going in and out of stores. But to him, it was like this special mission. Right. So, and I think something that we all parents do is we take, we project our guilt onto them. And if we just stop and listen, it changes. They see us as perfect, even though we're not, and we definitely aren't. Um, they see our lives as adventures with them. We're there, we're loving them. And that's what, that's what started the book because I started talking to all the societies and the organizations that, I appreciate and I appreciate the resources that they give to people, but they don't have great resources for children. And, you know, I said this about Adam too. He doesn't have the disease, but he lives with it. And so does my son. He doesn't have it, but he lives with MS for sure. And it mm -hmm. impacts his life. There are things that we have missed and, you know, he missed one page in the book. He has a, a bathtub full of balls it's because we missed going to a ball pit birthday party. I had so much guilt, but he had so much fun and he didn't get pink eye. <laughs> you know? mm -hmm. so. <laughs> well, I have a book called Some Days, A Tale of Love, Ice Cream, and My Mom's Chronic Illness. Uh, is that available on Amazon? It is. It is It is coming out September 28th, but it's available for pre-order now. Gotcha. And are you, um, are you blogging or can people can reach out to you to get to find yeah. you? Um, yeah, I'm on Instagram. So they can find me at I am Stam, S-T-A-M-M. And uh, yeah, I'm there. I accept messages. And I mean, I, I know I, I fortunately got an opportunity to uh, be one of your contributors for at least a, um, you know, a comment. Um, but you got a lot of people that uh, read and reviewed your book and, and were very, very, very pleased by it. We, well, I am beyond appreciative of yours. And your book, your book was my first book that I read when I was diagnosed. Um, Thank you. So I... You were first on my list. <laughs> Thank you. Thank we you. are very fortunate that we have received a lot of, you know, Selma Blair likes it and her son likes it. Who is, yep. you know, who it's for is for her son. 
Right. Um, I reached out to I reached out to Selma uh, right after a diagnosis, and um, you know, spent a little time with her in her home, just kind of talking through some of the things. You know, I know I don't know if you know uh, I I did climbing higher, but then I also did a living well with Montello. We got two living well books. Have you seen those two? No, I haven't. No. Okay, living well uh, emotionally and living well with Montello. Those are two different books that I put out. Both of them kind of talk a little bit more about my journey with MS, but also, you know, outline some ways that you can actually impact. And this is after, you know, again, everyone is different and I understand that. But, you know, um, I've been talking to a lot of doctors recently and a lot of people who also are in our same boat. And, and we're starting to find that, you know, if you can seek out an anti-inflammatory lifestyle, including a diet, that seems to have been impacting a lot of people. So um, I wrote some of the, the information about that in uh, my Living Well Emotionally book and um, also Living Well book. But there are, you know, we can help you. And I can, I'll make sure that, you know, my staff maybe shoots you a, a bibliography page of some other books that you might want to just take a glance on because there are some slight lifestyle things that you could do that at least for others have proven to be successful in impacting the disease. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think you are the biggest advocate that we have out there. So you're well, a wealth of knowledge to us. So we appreciate it. Trying, 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 but now oh, talk we all, about the whole community knows that, you know, it's, we've seen a lot of celebrities get diagnosed and um, you've had it along you know you've you've been through it you you are still standing you know when i was diagnosed 10 14 years ago they said i wouldn't be walking there you go i'm walking and the same well, for you that's that's the one thing that I, I wanted to make sure i hit on you know and if they all had crystal balls none of us would be sick and they don't yeah. have crystal balls right. so i remember when i got diagnosed the doctor said to me well you know unfortunately you're an african-american male and african-american males do the worst with you know, MS diagnosis, and you probably will be looking at, you know, some sort of assistance for walking in the next couple of years. And then, you know, it could end up in a wheelchair, but you know, that, let's not try to, I was like, I, I want to look at him and smack him upside his head. It's like, how yeah. dare you tell me what you think is going to happen to me? Right. And, and that's what the best thing about seeing you is that you give us something to look forward to. And that's what we all need. Absolutely. Well, and you give us something to look forward to, especially, you know, there are so many other mothers that are out there that, that just think that they can't you know, manage. And, you know, I mean, talk a little bit more about, you know, how you navigate managing just life with your son. So I think everyone has something, you know, it could be, you know, diabetes, it could be epilepsy. There's, we all have something we have to. So I think realizing that everyone is in the same boat, maybe it's a different shape boat, maybe it's a different color, but we all have something to deal with and navigating waters that we have to do with our child but we get through it. All we really need for them is to listen and love them. And, you know, the thing that I'm proud about my son is that he's aware of the room. And I think um, as a mom with MS, we create kind children. They're resilient. They notice the room. He can notice when the heat's impacting me and he'll be like, let's go to the shady side. He'll, he'll become a better person when he grows up because he's aware of how other people around him are feeling Right. He's and, empathetic and he also understands how to care. Right. Yeah. And that's something, you know, you can't necessarily teach in school. That's something that you have to ingrain in them from early on. And I think that's what I'm most proud of. And I, and everyone that has this disease, even though there are things that are different, 
you're giving your child an amazing life. It doesn't matter how it looks. Absolutely. It's very, very interesting the way you said it. All four of my children understood they lived through me, you know, go to Disney World and being able to go outside for maybe 15 minutes of a clip and get inside a restaurant for a little while, cool back down, get back outside, cool back down. You know, I, heat exacerbated my symptoms like no tomorrow for quite a long time. Though things like this have changed in me. Um, now, fortunately, my wife now is just like her son is one of my biggest advocates. I mean, she literally will say to me before, you know, I love to cook. Uh, sometimes, you know, I'm a little bit more heat sensitive than normal. Um, and when I say normal, I mean, I, I, my heat sensitivity is like a roller coaster. Some days I'm, I'm fine. 85 degrees outside. I'm okay. 86. No, I'm not okay. You know, um, in the kitchen when I'm cooking, sometimes I'm okay with the oven. Sometimes, no, I'm not, you know, after I get done cooking the meal, I will sit down and literally strip down at the dinner table and she'll notice it and she'll go, you can crank the air conditioner up a little bit more and go get a fan because it just, you know, just like short circuits in a computer or short circuits in a light, I start to short circuit a little bit. You know, I, unfortunately over the course of the last couple of years, I have, uh, have, uh, had some significant issues with heat where literally I was, I remember, I'll never forget this. This is, um, I also, something that seems to happen in folks with MS, but not necessarily with more prevalence, I happen to suffer from a major hemorrhagic stroke. We are seeing strokes in people with MS. They don't know if there's a connection or not, but there could be. Um, when my stroke happened and I recovered from that after 30 days, or 30 days in the hospital and three months of rehab, I found myself almost five times more heat sensitive than I was before the stroke mm-hmm. um, and didn't know this. And, you know, and the, the problem with us, you and I, is that by the time we realized that the heat's bothering us, the heat was bothering us 25 minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> 25 minutes ago. You know, you should. Um, but I uh, literally have hit the ground a couple of times. Um, I've been in restaurants. I was out. I'll, I'll never forget. I was in a restaurant where they had a, a large one of these, you know, fireplaces in glass, uh, you know, just a decorative thing that no one in the room was probably feeling any heat out of that thing. But I was and didn't realize it because I was sitting with sitting with my back to this thing. And then, you know, um, all of a sudden, in the middle of the conversation, I was out, boom, flopped down in the chair. And my friends got me up and laid me down on the floor and they moved me away from the heat. And as soon as I got, you know, just a little bit of a cold press on my neck, boom, I felt 20 times better. That snapped me up because it had happened before. And I realized, you know, I was sitting someplace that was, you know, maybe 15 feet away from a fire pit. And the breeze outside was blowing that heat from that fire pit on my table. And, you know, people at the table complained about it being a little hot. But by the time I said, you know, yeah, you know, that's passed out. When I realized how hot I was, I was out. So I have to pay very close attention to temperature grades. If I walk into a room and and just like your son, your your wife, your son does it for you. My wife does it for me. We walk into a room, she'll go, baby, it's hot in here. Mm -hmm. If I'm hot, you got to be hot. And I will say, well, I'm okay. No, you're not okay. Let's get out of here. 
and you know she'll get me out of there before I, I argue with her right you know it's good yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and i you know i'm really proud that he doesn't make me feel bad about it you know he's always right. like oh i want to go in there anyway i wanted to you know like let's stop and do this and you know he knows I'm always looking for the bathroom. So he spots the potty for me wherever we go. And he's like, just oh. so you know, <laughs> and it's just, it's whoever he marries down the road is going to be very lucky to have someone that looks out for them as much as he looks out for everyone. Absolutely. And, you know, and, and that's what we need. I mean, I think, you know, one of the most important things and aspects of an illness like the one we have is that those around us who love us help us understand that they are as concerned for us as we are concerned for them. You know what I mean? I, it's it's really important. So now, I mean, uh, you want your book. One more time, give out your title of the book so everybody knows it. Yes, it is Some Days, A Tale of Love, Ice Cream, and My Mom's Chronic Illness. And it comes out September 28th. It's available for pre-order now on Amazon. And it will be at bookstores near you. Absolutely. And what do you what do you hope to see happen in the MS community in the next in the, in the next few years? Well, I want children to be included and care partners. I want them to have an outlet. We have a lot for patients and I think we're, we're missing the mark a little bit on appreciating the role that our network creates for us. You know, we all know that it's important to have friends that are on similar journeys. So we network and we meet other MSers. So we feel validated and we have people that can understand what we're going through, but we do need to support the people that support us. Um, a little bit better. So I'm hoping to start something to help do that. Great. And yeah, I mean, there. I, I think, you know, I, I cannot remember the name of it. I know that there's a chat form that is up online for family members and kids of people with MS, but maybe that might be something that uh, your book will help spark. I hope. I, I really do. Because I think the more and more we share, the more and more we get an opportunity to just express ourselves and to tell people and let them know that, you know, it's it, no matter what your level of illness, there is still reason for hope. And that's the thing about the book is that when the when any adult reads it, they get a little sad because they know the the fight behind it. But when kids read it, they see it as great adventures and an exciting book. So I always mm -hmm. tell people um a lot of parents have used it as a tool to tell their children for the first time. And that's my favorite thing. Um, because I think being transparent is better than lying to your children. Absolutely. Um, and you know, it's, it's a hard conversation, but there's going to be a lot of hard conversations and this is one that they can deal with as long as you give it to them in the proper way. They don't need to know about demyelination. They don't need to know about relapses. They need to know that you love them no matter what. And your days might look a little bit different, but they're going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so I think I always tell people, read it before you read it to your child, because it does strike up some emotions because you realize how hard as a parent these days are for the parent. But then read it to your child and realize that your child sees you like that. And that's how you have to be forgiving of yourself. Right. Anything else you want to add? No, that was, I am so appreciative of your time and so happy I got to talk to you and you really are wonderful for us. Oh, no, thank you. Well, if anybody wanted, you are wonderful for us also. So if people want to reach out and get a hold of you, give them the website one more time. I, I yep, it's just on, on Instagram. It is I am Stam. So I-A-M-S-T-A-M-M. -M. Okay. On Instagram. And they can reach yep. out to you or respond and give them some tips. Yep, absolutely. And I'll, I uh, 
I have a number of readings, virtual readings scheduled, so they are more than welcome for, to free events. Thank you so much. Well, I can't say thank you enough for being a part of today's free thinking with Montel. And I know you guys really enjoy this. So make sure you share this information with your friends and get them to click on and, you know, and listen, listen closely, especially if you know someone who has MS. This is a great conversation and the type of conversation that I hope and wish that more of us who are survivors were having so other people could understand that it's worth surviving. Thank you so much, Montel. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. You stay safe. And, oh, you know, I hope you got your vaccine. Did you? I did, of course. <laughs> uh, I did. Oh, I literally, uh, oh, a month ago, I got vaccinated back in January. And, um, you know, I, I was a little reticent about the vaccination, having had MS, knowing that, you know, because I'm on a medication that is an immune modifier and thought that mm, I may not be getting the same protection, but I'm going to get it anyway. Mm -hmm. I got it. I will tell you, I'm so thankful for it because we're now recognizing that people who have MS who have been getting COVID without the vaccine had been getting pretty debilitated from yeah. and having to go to the hospital. And, and this is a tough one to survive. So um, I was very fortunate. I did. Uh, I, I contracted a, a COVID now about four weeks ago, um, but I am absolutely 100% positive that it was because of the vaccine that I did not have as tough a time as I could have had had I not gotten it. Thank God, because the world needs you. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> no, I'm not going anywhere. But I thank you so much for being a part of Free Thinking with Montel today. And thank you for tuning in. Thanks for joining me on Free Thinking with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear feedback. So please send us your comments. Yeah.